Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, guys, if you're here normally hanging out in the kids' ministry, man, it's, it's great to see you. Great to have you in here. Uh, what's really cool about that is that um, we get these, man, these awesome Grace sermon notes. We're going to start handing these out to the adults, too. It only took me like 45 minutes to get the crayons open. So, uh, you know, if you're still working on that, I, I would recommend taking a little hand sanitizer, putting them on the top, and then biting them off, okay? That's what I would recommend. But uh, we're going to be testing you, and so parents, uh, you're going to be held responsible for how well your children do on the quiz when it's all said and done, okay? So just get that out. We'll periodically be checking things off, and uh, I would maybe even periodically, I'll probably forget, but I may even ask you occasionally to show me your picture that you are actually coloring in the moment. I will be preaching and coloring at the same time, which takes, I mean, extraordinary dexterity. Okay, so we're at it, right? Great to be with you guys together. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, you know, when I was in high school, uh, every week, I would, man, I would, I would patiently and, uh, no, not patiently, that's not the right word. I would, I would absolutely uh, be in just complete excitement for the mailbox on Friday afternoon because Sports Illustrated would show up in the mailbox every Friday afternoon. I don't even think we know what periodicals, weekly periodicals really are anymore. Did anybody else get Sports Illustrated as a kid? Yeah, or as a high school or as an adult or whatever. I, I loved it. I, I read every one. The May 16th, 1979 issue really had an effect on my life. I read, a, I read an article about this event that had been dubbed the Iron Man. The Iron Man was a 2.4-mile swim, which, by the way, two weeks ago, as many of you heard, I got an opportunity to do this thing that I'd been thinking about for 42 years, all right? So, well, no, 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 please, please, just stick with me on this. That's why I didn't really want to show this stuff, but it's a 2.4-mile swim, it's a 112-mile bike ride, and it's a 26.2-mile run, or whatever that guy was doing. I mean, <laughs> seriously, kids, look at him. Does he really look like he's running? He looks like he got lost in a cornfield and he's confused. <laughs> Seriously, right? I have no idea what mile that was, but, um, but yeah, that was when I was going good. All right? Um, the coolest thing about the event was that uh, our son Micah is the one who encouraged me after 40 years of doing it, and we got to finish together. That was just a, that was one of the sweetest deals ever. And, and a cool thing about that was the encouragement that comes. Vic was there, obviously, encouraging. Uh, Muncie was where we did the event, and that was kind of the, the theme. Take that, Muncie. We're going to punch you in the face in a loving way, <laughs> right? And, and our whole family was there and providing encouragement. And I just, I just realized something about a race like that or an event like that. Man, it takes so much encouragement. I had all these people who helped me train for it. I had a lot of you. One of the reasons I wanted to share it, not because, you know, I, I feel like I need some accolade on this, but a lot of you guys were, were actually following us on the tra training and tracking app, and that was just cool. So, man, what, it, was a, it was an awesome day. It was an awesome day. And, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about encouragement. I learned that, man, I hate to take encouragement. Because I feel like, and maybe you're like this, I feel a little like when somebody has to encourage you, that kind of shows you're weak. <laughs> How stupid is that, right? Encouragement is something we all desperately need in our lives. And I was also thinking about 
this. The Iron Man is something that is a little bit, no, it's completely artificial, right? I mean, you put yourself into suffering for 13, for me, some people do it in like, there was a guy sitting in here last hour who's a professional triathlete who actually does an Iron Man in like eight hours and 20 minutes. Mine was 1330, so I'm really not on that level. Should we go back to the running picture? No, don't, <laughs> right? Right? But, you know, here's the thing. Um, it's, a, it's an artificial suffering. Right? I mean, I, I could have stopped at any moment, and as long as my self esteem wasn't wrapped up in the Iron Man, it wouldn't have mattered whatsoever, right? But life, right? As a follower of Jesus Christ and the world that we live in, in fact, Peter in 1 Peter talks about us as people living as exiles in a hostile world. And, and this world that we live in, because of sin, creates all kinds of brokenness, but it also creates all kinds of suffering and trial because of our faith, right? And so, man, in, in, in life, you don't have the opportunity just to stop, Right? And, and you need the encouragement of the body and of Christ to keep going. And that's what, that's what Peter does in these verses here in this passage. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to verses 8 through 22. So just a hint, there is a little page part of your, part of your page here that says, what passage are we in today, I think? Yes, book, chapter, and verse. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 22, okay? All right, you guys are rocking it. Good stuff. So, in this passage, and I'm going to read the whole thing, okay? And it's long. And oh, by the way, kids, we usually have 20-minute sermons or 25-minute sermons. Today's might be more like 50. No, but don't worry. It's going to be really exciting the whole way, okay? So here we go. Verse 8, chapter 3. First Peter, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this, to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to see, to, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are upon open to, to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear then, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, the, that he might bring us to God and being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that's eight persons, were brought safely through water, 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and powers and authorities having been subjected to him. Now, you know, as, I, as I read that very long and complicated passage, here's what Peter's trying to do. Peter's trying to encourage the people of the church, the early church, that in the midst of all the stuff they were dealing with, that they need to keep pursuing, keep pushing, keep running this race. That's what this passage is completely about. Peter is addressing these people in the first century who were really suffering. They were under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire at the time, I mean, it was, it was a little schizophrenic. In other words, it was a little bit crazy in terms of how it dealt with Christians particularly. Because at sometimes it would be this place where, man, the Christians were almost applauded and lauded as great people. They'd be raised up by some emperors. And, and some emperors at the time would do that. And, and others would put them in the Colosseum and sick animals and gladiators against them so they could be killed because of their faith. That's what, that's what was kind of weird. And the Christians didn't ever really know what was going on. And so Peter was trying to encourage these people in the midst of the difficulties that they were in that they needed to continue to walk solidly in the faith of Jesus Christ. And here are the three encouragements that he gives. He wants to tell them, listen, here's what you need to do as a follower of Christ, as somebody who's living in a hostile place, as an exile or an alien. First, you've got you've to take on a posture of love. Second, you've got to expect the fact that who you are is going to offend people and that you need to respond appropriately to them. And then third, you should have confidence in the hope that is Jesus Christ. So, Let's take a look at that whole idea of, of love. What does it mean to have a posture of love in a hostile environment? You know, if you're in a war, you need to know who's around you, right? If you're, if you're in a battle, you need to know who it is that surrounds you. First, there's, there are people who are your friends. There are people who are your allies, people who are with you. And, uh, and, and what Peter's saying is that there are people who are Christ followers like you who are your allies and your friends, and, and you're supposed to love them. And then he goes on and he says, but there's also people around who, you, who are in opposition to you, who are your enemies. And, and the same response that you give to those people who you're connected to and an ally with is the same response you're supposed to give to people who you're an enemy with. You're supposed to love them. Now, that response is the same, but how you do that is going to look differently depending on whether it's a friend or an enemy. You know, and, and so that's, that's how this whole thing starts. Peter wants us to be encouraged to, to love both our friends and our enemies. Look at verse 8. He looks at friends first. He says, you know, as, as the body of Christ, the friends, you're supposed to have brotherly love. You're supposed to love one another. And the words that surround that wor- that, the, those two words, brotherly love, kind of help us understand what that means. Look, he says that you should have unity of mind. That doesn't mean that you agree on everything, but that means that when, as followers of Christ, you've got the same purpose and the same hope and the same desire, and when you do have a disagreement, you're still together under the bond of Christ. And that disagreement doesn't end up on social media with each of you fighting back and forth. I mean, that's the unity of the body. Have unity of mind together. 
maybe even in disagreement, being able to agree to disagree under Christ. Now, secondly, it says that you're supposed to have sympathy for one another, care and concern for one another. I mean, that's what the body's about, to caring for one another, to, to bringing one another along. You know what's been interesting in the last two years? A lot of people have decided that church is insignificant and it doesn't really mean anything to them. And I understand that. A lot of people started coming to church when they were little kids and it really didn't mean much to them and it didn't really have any thought behind it. It became this kind of tradition that they felt like they were supposed to do and they always felt like it was going to be something that was really meaningful in their life. And all of a sudden, after two years, they haven't really been involved and they really didn't miss anything. And it wasn't any big deal not to be here. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. Let me just remind you of a couple practical things. George Barna in his survey, in his, uh, his organization, which surveys the population on all kinds of different topics, says this. This is just practical. This isn't, even bibl- this isn't even spiritual. This isn't even Jesus stuff. This is just some practical stuff. I mean, it all relates to Jesus, but, and it all relates to spiritual stuff, but you'll understand in a minute. There's some practical stuff about that. You know that... People who attend church on a regular basis are, are much more likely to feel happy and satisfied with life. People who attend church on a regular basis have better relationships than people who don't. People who attend church on a regular basis, um, they have a tendency to heal much faster from illness and not get as sick in that illness. That's so interesting, isn't it? That just the fact that the, just the fact that the God of the universe is part of this whole thing, right? But we're just talking practical here for a minute. You know, we're not talking about spiritual stuff. We're just second. But just the fact that we're together as the body of Christ, caring for one another, loving one another, coming alongside one another, man, that means something. And then you throw in the God of the universe part and you really got something, right? I mean, we got to care for one another. We love one another. We come alongside one another. We do it with a tender heart and a humble mind because that's what's required. And then he goes on and he says, okay, so now we as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're living as aliens and in a hostile environment, when we're living in a world that is opposed to who we are and every age and every place in one way or another is opposed to who we are. I mean, it, we're not dying for our faith right now. We may someday, but we're not in that experience right now. That doesn't mean that it's not happening around the world. And in fact, in a few weeks, we'll be praying for the persecuted church around the world. But at this stage of the game, we're not living in the same kind of hostile environment that, these, that the people Peter was writing to are. And yet we still have the hostility of people who want to take what Christianity is and punch it down and including us. So we have these enemies, we have these foes who are against us. And you know, how do you, how do you approach somebody who's kind of opposed to you? I mean, I think there's a couple ways that people have a tendency or a normal way that we do that. And you know, when we're living in the flesh, the way I kind of think about that is there's, I can just ignore it. In other words, I can just say, this isn't really happening and I'm just gonna not deal with it, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it down and, and no matter how much people hurt me, or no matter how much people say bad things about me, I'm just going to kind of just push it down inside of me and not allow it to affect me. Let me just tell you just real quick, uh, that's what counselors are for, right? That's why counseling is what it is, because we ignore stuff and push it down, and then there's an issue that we have to deal with. Secondly, you might do this. 
You might just kind of like get a bunch of your friends who think like you and act like you and love the things you love and you just kind of circle the wagons. Maybe you move out to a complex someplace. Let me just remind you of something. Christians moving out to a complex together never works out good. You can, chase, you, can, you can trace that history. There are a lot of, there are a lot of places where Christians com, or religious people, uh, compounds and togetherness have just ended in, I mean, just, it ends bad. It just does. Okay, so that's not a good option. And the, and the third one is just the, the whole idea of, man, when somebody does something to me, what do I want to do? I want to do it back to them, Right? And, and the words of Jesus start to ring out here because in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, here, listen, man, it's so simple to love those people who love you. Here's the hard part, to love the people who revile you, who, who, who insult you, who taunt you, who make fun of you, who drag you through the mud. And, and your main response, my main response in the flesh is to do the exact same thing back. And yet here's what Here's what Peter tells them. I want to encourage you. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, man, just bless them. Love them. I mean, that's what we do as followers of Christ. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do, to love those who hate us. Did you ever read the book or see the movie Unbroken? There's a story of Lou Zamprini, who was the Olympic athlete in the 40s, who ended up in the Air Force and was shot down over uh, the, the, the Pacific Ocean and captured by the Japanese and spent two years in a prison camp. And every day of that two-year experience, there was a guard that they nicknamed the bird for the way that he looked. And, uh, and every day, he, he, he would abuse either physically, emotionally, or mentally Louis for hours at a time. And really, the only way that Louis got through that, according to his book, was he just dreamed of the day when he was going to get a hold of the bird and break him in half. I mean, he just, he dreamed of the day of what it was going to look like for him to take revenge against this dude who had completely ruined his life. And, and that, in some ways, helped him get through the end of his imprisonment. But here's the problem with that. When he was released, he couldn't let it go. And, and, and it became the thing that drove him. He, he fantasized about finding him. He fantasized about what he would do. And he fantasized about not caring about what consequences there would be. And it drove him to a place that was dark. Alcoholism and, and uh, the contemplation of taking his own life. And, and, he, and he ruined his family until in 1952 when he was sitting in a Billy Graham crusade and heard the redeeming and freeing message of Jesus Christ, and he, and he changed. He received him into his heart, and the Holy Spirit began to work on him, and all of a sudden he knew, man, he had to forgive the bird and not be the one that was going to take vengeance against him, and he became free, and it changed everything about him. The power of God changed him. And the power of God through the Holy Spirit living in us is what gives us the ability to not take revenge, to not revile when we are reviled. I mean, that's the, the cause. We've got to take a posture of love. Because, the second encouragement, because we're going to be treated poorly. I mean, when, when the message of the gospel, when, when Jesus and everything about him 
speaks so clearly about who we are, what we are, and how we need to be fixed, we don't like it. I mean, the gospel is going to tell us this. The gospel particularly says to you and to me and to everyone that we are broken and that we have a problem. First of all, if you tell me I'm broken and I have a problem, I get a tad bit defensive, right? I don't want to admit, how do you know I'm broken? What do you mean? And many of you are sitting out there thinking the same thing. I, I don't, how, how dare you say that there's something wrong with me, right? But the gospel, I mean, that, that whole thing, it's calling us out for who we are, sinners. And then it's more than that. It's not just that. It's like, here's the deal. You can't fix yourself. Oh, wait a minute. What are you saying? First you're saying I'm broken. Now you're saying I can't fix myself. You're, you're treading on thin ice, right? And then when you say that there's only one way that you can actually be fixed through Jesus Christ, then you've got a real problem, right? Because who are you to be able to say how we get fixed and that there's only one way? I mean, we, gotta, we live in a hostile environment because we, because we believe a message that is offensive, true and right, and the only real truth that there is, but it's offensive. And we're going to be attacked for that. To declare somebody as sinful, helpless, and needing the one way, man, walk into a party and say that, right? People are not going to respond all that excitedly about that. But here's what, here's what Peter tells him. You know what? Even, even if you suffer, look at verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, for believing that and living that out, you're going to be blessed. And so you don't have to fear those people. You don't have to, not only that, you don't have to have anxiety about them. You don't have to be troubled by them. I mean, that's hearkening back to the idea of this. You ought to be, Matthew 10 says this, Jesus speaking, you ought to be afraid, not of people who can just take your life, you know, your body, who can kill the body, but you ought to be thinking about the one who can take your life and your eternal life, right? And he's not saying that to scare us. What he's trying to say is that, listen, there's people who can kill you. Yeah, there are. I mean, anybody could. It happens all the time. But, uh, but you shouldn't be afraid of somebody who's gonna take your life because of what you believe if you believe the one who has your life in his hands, right? He says, he says this. He says, not only that, he's probably thinking a little about, about his friend Paul and that letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in verse 5 of the first letter. And chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8, that says, you know, to be absent from the body, which is what? Dead. Yeah. That's a nice way to say dead, right? To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Man, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's the best thing, actually. Right? It is. And so we got this going for us. And, and Peter's saying, I want you to remember that. And because you got this thing going for us, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be able to share that hope with anybody who sees the reality of it in your life. You, you ought to be prepared. Look at verse 15. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Man, you, you've got to be living a life in the such that you are prepared to share the gospel when people are wondering about who you are and why you live the way you live. You've you got to be prepared to share the gospel when God sets forth the opportunity for you to be able to do that. Man, 
How good are you at that? How prepared are you at that? How ready are you to give that answer of hope to people? I mean, it's about knowing how to respond to somebody, but it's also about being prepared in every way, being intentional to experience the opportunities that God puts forth before you and, uh, and then take advantage of them. Are you prepared? Are you intentional? Are you strategic? Last week, uh, after the service, Vicki and I went down to Rose Rudman. And, uh, and we were walking along the walking path there. And, um, and we came to this, you know, you know where the new playground, if you've ever been down there, they've, they've gotten this relatively new kind of cool playground. And, and just, to the, just right next to the walking trail by the playground, there's this like, I guess you, it's not a memorial because they're not dead and they're still doing the stuff they do. But it's more like a tribute to the literacy council. It's really cool. I mean, there's this statue. I mean, kids are running, and I don't know why they're running with the literacy council. It'd be more like they should be reading, but they're, they're running. I, they may have been reading. I just thought they were running. I, I don't know. But anyway, they've got this thing going. And, uh, and then on the, so we're kind of looking at it, and it's nicely landscaped. And on the corner of the landscaping, there's this little plaque. And maybe you've seen it, and you've thought the same thing. Why is John 14, 6 right there? You know, that I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. I am, I, why is that there? I mean, it's cool, and, you know, it's Tyler, and so, you know, maybe that's part of it, but it, just, it just seemed kind of strange. And then as, we were, as I was looking at it, Vicky was kind of sitting, standing next to me, and then there was this guy standing next to me on this side. And, uh, we, you know, we were all kind of sitting there together. He was obviously reading it, and I was reading it, and I was like going, What's, what is this about, you know? And, and then Vicky and I continued our walk. And, you know, only like my wife Vicky can say to me, so why do you think it is that um, if you would have been on a mission trip somewhere and you came upon a Bible verse on the ground and there was some guy looking at it, you would have said something like, hey, what does that Bible verse mean to you, right? But why is it that when you're in Tyler, you would never think about asking a question like that to somebody who was looking at a Bible verse intently? Why didn't you say, not she didn't say that, why didn't, no, because we, she was, she was acu- not accusing, she was saying this about both of us. She was saying, why is it that, we're, that when we're in Tyler, kind of living our life, doing our thing, we just don't really think about it. But if we were in, you know, Macedonia or in, uh, in Azerbaijan or in China somewhere, and, and, some, and we'd been like praying about how you share the gospel with anybody you see and all these things, Every, everything we'd see would be an opportunity. And, you know, why? Because I'm... I wasn't prepared. I mean, I was prepared in the sense that I could have easily talked about the gospel. I know how to talk about the gospel. I mean, you know, I do it all the time, right? I mean, you guys are sick to death of it at times. You know, I mean, I I do it all the time. It's not like I don't know what to say, but I wasn't prepared to give an answer. Why? Because I hadn't thought through it. I was in my own deal. And you know what? We're supposed to be intentional not just when you're overseas or on a mission trip in New York City. You're supposed to be intentional all the time. That was an opportunity. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what would have happened, but it was an opportunity for me to say, what's going on? What would you think? 
Is there some way I can help answer a question about who this Jesus is? Man, we got to be prepared. That's our, that's our response. And we got to live lives. We got to live lives that actually draw people to see who Jesus is. We got this sign in our, in our office that Amber uh, made for us a few years ago. And it says this, you got to be living in such a way that the way you live requires a gospel explanation. Isn't that just a great statement? Are you living like that? Are you living in such a way that people are looking at your life and then saying, hey, tell me about this hope that's in you? Or are you just like everybody else? Man, too many times I'm like everybody else. Now, the third thing of encouragement. Have confidence and assurance in the fact that Jesus gives you hope. So in this Ironman thing, it was an out and back course. Okay, so... On the marathon, for example, you ran out seven miles, and then you ran back seven miles, and then you, well, that's going to add up to too many miles, but something like that, between six and a half and seven, and then you, you did that twice. And somewhere about mile 10, I come upon this woman who's kind of running along. She's not running very fast because I came upon her, as you may have noticed, um, you know, how slow I was running. But, uh, but here's what she was saying. Every single, now, so we're running this way and people are running this way. And it's not like there are a million people, but most of the time there were three, four, five, or six people coming every, you know, eight or ten seconds. And she is saying this every time a group of people pass. You got this, athlete, keep going. And I'm thinking, man, that is so awesome that she's encouraging people like that, right? She's, she's so encouraging. And I, I just thought, man, she's, just, she's thinking so much about other people until I was with her for three miles. And then I really got sick of it, which is my problem. I understand that, <laughs> right? I, I get that. That is definitely my problem. I see that so clearly. Nobody write me an email and say how nasty I am. But I was having bad thoughts about this woman, you know. And I, I actually, uh, I actually uh, it, it pushed me to speed up from about 0.2 <laughs> mile an hour to about 0.7. And I put some serious distance between me and her over the next mile. It was great. She was encouraging them. But... Uh, but the other thing is, is a lot of those people coming down that pathway, they did not have this at all, right? They were about to expire. Time was running out, and they weren't going to make it because all they had was themselves. And here's what's interesting about how Peter encourages them. He takes this. Look at verse 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, right? being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Here's, in that moment, here's what Peter would have been saying to us. He wouldn't be saying, you've got this. You know what he'd be saying? He's got this. He has accomplished what you need done. Man, he's got this. He's, he's died on the cross for you. He's risen, on the, risen from the dead for you. He's given you eternal life. You don't got this. He's got this. That's where your confidence comes from. In the midst of a hostile situation, all of us need to be reminding each of us that he's got this for us. Absolutely. You do not have this. He has this. And not only does he have this, 
he wants you to have this. He wants everyone to have this. These next few verses, Martin Luther, who started the Reformation in the late 1400s, said that this is the hardest passage in all of Scripture. He says that this is one of the most difficult passages, these next few passages, where, where Noah is, where, where Jesus, look at, look at uh, verse 19. He says, after being made alive, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. What does that mean? Man, if you're like me, I read passages like that sometime and just think, I don't know, but I, we'll get to something that I understand here in a minute, right? But let me just tell you, this is not as confusing as it seems. Jim Dennison who writes the Denison Forum and will be our guest at the Grace Community School auction in just a few weeks. Uh, he, he writes this. He says, when you, when you see that word, when, okay, when doesn't necessarily have to mean locale. Here's what, here's what I think Peter is saying. He's saying that Jesus preaches to people through people. And he uses Noah as an example of that. Because while Noah was building the ark, he was preaching to the disobedient. Actually, Jesus was preaching to the disobedient through Noah. Just like Paul says, Jesus preached through him to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 7 of Ephesians. Just like my dad and my mom, Pastor Gene Chavetta, Reverend Steve Brown, Dave Kearns Preston, my young life leader, just like Jesus preached through them to me, God is preaching to people through people. And he does that because he wants you, and you need confidence in this. He wants you to know him and be brought into a relationship with him. And he wants those who you're connected with to know him and to be brought into a relationship with him. Talk about confidence, right? Talk about confidence. I mean, he's got this, and he wants you and me and everyone to have this. Wow, is that encouraging. And everybody, by the way, I didn't actually color anything more. I got too distracted. I'm sorry, guys, but... Maybe we can get together later and color some more. But uh, if you're still working on it, I'd love to see it after it's over. (sighs) But encouragement is so significant. I wouldn't have made it through the Iron Man without the encouragement of my family and my friends and many of you who who prayed for me. and, um, and, And I'm so grateful for that. But I'm infinitely more grateful. I am infinitely more grateful for Peter's encouragement to me to finish an infinitely more significant race that I'm supposed to, you're supposed to, we are supposed to posture ourselves with love to those who are in the faith with us and the enemies that we're going to encounter, that that we need to recognize that we're going to have this. Man, I don't want it, but we're going to have this hostility that's drilled right at us 
And we need to respond appropriately. And we can do that because we have confidence in the fact that he's got this and he's got us. God, thank you for that. We're so grateful for who you are and for what you've done, and we want to praise you for that. that that's why we come back up to sing songs about that, to, to proclaim to you how publicly and loudly that you're our God, and we're grateful for your gift of salvation to us. And Lord, we are your people with a purpose to honor you, and to be partnering with you in the mission of this gospel. I pray that you would use us as a church and as people to make that a reality in the lives of this community and the lives of people around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.